Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we wrap up our series tonight, Able to Sin. Over the last few weeks, we've thought about Cain's family and, and how the whole progress of the story from when Cain kills Abel to the end of the line that we, we learn about Cain's family, how that progresses and how we see sin develop. And even though that's specifically about Cain's family, how that progression of sin speaks to the progression of sin in our own lives as well. As we think about that, last week we talked about technology and innovation, human creativity and how we learn to do new things. I was struck last week as well, in the midst of all that, it came out afterwards about a new technology from Apple. Now, not the Vision Pro, we can talk about that maybe someday, but what struck me was something that got fewer headlines, but was fascinating. In, in collaboration with some researchers at a university, Apple released a, an open source AI model, a artificial intelligence model, that you can describe an edit you'd like to have happen to a photo, and it will actually make that edit for you. You just tell it what you want it to do, and it can analyze the picture and understand it well enough that it can go in and, and see oh, you're talking about this and I'm going to change it. For example, here is my cat Frost. I think this is a great picture of Frost. He's looking very uh, cat-like there, not quite wanting to look in the camera, but just letting us enjoy his beautiful fur there and, and looking very regal. Now, let's say though that I decide I want an orange tabby cat. I could describe, and in fact, I did to this AI that I wanted an orange tabby, and there you have it. Frost, same picture, everything else looks the same, but by saying I wanted the AI to change his fur from the white fur that he really has to orange fur with tabby stripes, it did it. It's almost mind-blowing to me when I think about that, but it can look at that picture and it can change it. And it seems pretty good in the moment. And yet we can think of all the implications. We've already talked over time about all the different ways people are going to be confused and misled by the ability to edit things and make them look real, even though they're quite different than they are. And for years, there have been talk, there's been all kinds of talk about Photoshopping and how people try to make photos look like something they're not. And before that, people did cruder methods of trying to edit negatives and so on to, to falsify photos. But, but here we see with this something so much more advanced, where a person can literally type on their keyboard, change the color of my cat's fur, and the AI can recognize what fur is versus everything else in the picture and make the change in a way that looks surprisingly natural. It distorts things, it distorts reality, and it does it so subtly that if I had shown you that second picture first, you might think that my cat really had that orange fur with those stripes. Isn't that eerie? Isn't that kind of concerning? 
But isn't that what sin does to us every single day? It takes the picture of God's good creation and his good intent for us, and it says, let's just change this and that. And it does it so so subtly and so well that in the moment, we think maybe the change is good. Or we don't even realize there was a change at all. It, it just flows. And so sin, sometimes I think we think it's like a Photoshop, and not even a good Photoshopping. It's a, a crude Photoshopping where you can kind of see all the Cut, cut points and so on. But sin is actually very, very effective at distorting things in such a way we don't even realize that things have changed. And, and that's what we see in the story of Cain and his family, that, that sin keeps distorting little bits here and there, saying, let's just make this little change, that little change. And as we feed into the sin in our lives, that happens to us as well. So let's ask God to, to help us to detect where that distortion is in our own lives. We may not be able to detect what AI does in the future, but certainly with God's help, we can detect what sin does in our lives by the grace given to us and the help of his Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, would you help us to be those who can detect distortion, the distortion of sin? Our own senses are, are made numb by sin. Our own senses often even want to embrace distortion when we see it happening because somehow it sounds appealing to us. But would you help us instead see the truth, and hold on to it. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the real challenge for us as we think about everything we've been talking about is how do we see where things have been adjusted? How do we realize when the fur has been changed from white to orange? And with God's help, change it back to white. How do we make ourselves able to see that? And that's where we're going tonight. And let's just look, we're going to look at our whole passage right now verses 23 and 24 of Genesis chapter 4. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So here we have a bookend to what the chapter began with. At the beginning of the chapter, you have Cain. He kills his brother Abel. And why does he do that? Well, as we talked about, it seems there's something wrong with the sacrifice he offers to the Lord. It's likely his attitude. And as he is displeased that God is displeased with him, he takes out on his brother who's been doing things the right way. And he lures his brother out into the field and he kills him. But then, as we saw in the weeks following, Cain struggles with the, the consequences of that. He hadn't really thought about what happens when I'm a murderer, what happens when I don't get away with my sin. And, and he basically, while not necessarily seeming terribly repentant, does ask God for help. He says, what you're putting upon me is too much. This, this isn't, isn't going to work. I, I need help. Now, we certainly don't want to commend Cain. There's a whole lot to say against Cain, but we can see there that he realizes something at least. He realizes he can't do it all on his own. Lemek, though, is different. You see, we're told here that he kills a man, maybe two men, depending on if we take those different parts of that verse as a poetic parallel where he's just emphasizing what he did or if he's actually describing two related situations. But either way, he kills someone, and he kills someone in retaliation for getting into a fight with him, maybe slightly wounding him. It doesn't seem to be anything serious on, on his part, but he... He retaliates by killing the person. Now, 
he already knows what's happened with Cain, and, and he refers to that here. And, and that's really the key thing here. We see the distortion of generations of sin that come out of this. Because here he sees what Cain did, and he doesn't see it as a warning, don't be like, like your ancestor Cain. He sees this as essentially a green light to go ahead and sin. Oftentimes at first when we sin, we, we realize, I shouldn't do this. This doesn't feel right. We see other people sinning. This doesn't feel right. But as we see other people sinning more and more, as we sin more and more in a particular way ourselves, we become numb to that. We start to make excuses for it. Or maybe over time, culturally, maybe there's never been a time in our lives where we've been convicted of a sin that is genuinely wrong before God because our society as a whole has become so numb to it. The distortion isn't just a momentary command typed into a computer that, that changes it right before our eyes. It's something that's changed over generations. And so we don't really even see it. We need to, to recognize that for as long as there have been humans, there have been blind spots that we've had to our own sin. And we see that clearly here with Lamech, that he doesn't think that he's sinning. Seems like he thinks he's justified. How disturbing is that, that, that here he is, he knows that God's punishment came down on Cain, that God was displeased with Cain, and yet he takes that story and it turns into the go-ahead to do at least as much, if not more, than Cain. If he killed two people, he went even further than Cain. And yet, and yet, that's what our brains do. As we become accustomed to things or focused on certain things, we distort everything to fit that. And that's what we see here. He knows that Cain, on the one hand, yes, he, he, he faced God's judgment, but on the other hand, God showed him mercy. God gave him protection. And so Lamech doesn't even come before God and say, my anger got out of control, God. These, this man or these men attacked me, and, and in response, I just went overboard and I killed them. And now I'm afraid. No, what does he say? Well, if God was going to protect Cain, he's going to protect me even more. If that first murder was worth some protection, well, how much more is it worth protecting me? And we see that he's focused on a particular part of the story, that, that care that God offers even a sinner like Cain. And he turns that into not, wow, isn't God merciful? But here's how much I deserve. Even Cain doesn't go quite that far, but, but Lamech does. And, and I think it's sort of, in a bizarre way, like, say if you've gone car shopping. What does car shopping have to do with sin? Well, uh, you pick out a car, you, you decide that it's the particular model you want, particular color you want. Maybe you find a color you think, this is a unique color. It's... I've not really seen it before. And so you, you pick out that car, you, you buy that car, and then what happens? You start seeing other people driving the same car, the same model, same color. Like, wow, I didn't think that many people had that bright green car, but, but now I, I drive down the street and I feel like I'm always passing people with that bright green color car. And, and we know what's happening there if we actually stop and think about it. Maybe our first impulse is to say, well, you know, bright green color cars must be selling really, really well right now. But what we realize is actually our minds focus on the things that we're actually thinking about, the things that we're, well, focused on. It focuses even more on them. And so if I'm looking at a bright green color car, I'm going to notice when there are other bright green color cars. They were there before, I just wasn't paying attention. 
but it feels like something has changed because I'm now noticing it. And, and sin does that sort of distortion where the parts that seem important to us, the, the focus, like Lemek feels like he's been deeply wronged. Well, he can clearly see that wrong and he can then feel like all this should be done for me because I have been wronged and it doesn't matter that I've left a person or two dead on the ground. I've been wronged. And so he sees that and he doesn't see all the other stuff going on around him. He misses out on the mercy. And it's really that, that trick our brains play on us. And it doesn't really matter if we misunderstand car color unless we're responsible for picking out the car colors on some dealer's lot. We've been hired to do that and we make a mistake. Then it would matter. But generally doesn't, but it sure does matter if, as we focus on the things that we want our brains to focus on or we're interested in, we become blind to sin, and we become blind to God's mercy so that we just presume on it. That's what we see here. God's just going to protect me. If this was going to be really bad for Cain, how much worse now? Let's just go back and look at that, that verse 24 again. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemex is 77-fold. You see, Lemex says, I know how wronged I was. I can see that wrong really clearly. And he doesn't see the sin that's driving by because that's not what he's focused on. He doesn't see the fact that there's mercy involved because that's not what he's focused on. And it really comes down to the question, how important do I think I am? He feels in that moment that he is very, very important. And that's what happens when, especially when we're wronged, our, our sense of being wronged is magnified greatly. That's what we do in our sinful state. And our own faults are likewise reduced in size. He doesn't think about the fact that he's a murderer. He thinks about the fact that he's been wronged. And he thinks about the fact that someone might want to take vengeance on him. And so he's already anticipating that wrong as well. And so it's all about him. He feels very important. And the fact that he's wronged other people to the point of taking someone's life or some people's lives, eh, not a big deal. Wait till you hear what happened to me. And that's what we all do. This is what we do as sinful human beings. But what we can see here, it's not something new. It's something all the way back at the beginning of Scripture. So we need to be on guard against because it doesn't lead to where we should be. How important do I think I am? Do I understand my place as a recipient of God's mercy? Is that how I'm approaching things? Because the thing is, when, when our focus is on, on that kind of car, the car of God's mercy, and we see all kinds of mercy cars driving down the road, it totally changes the perspective of those sin cars driving down the road and the wrongs against us cars driving down the road. But as long as we're focused on the wrongs against us, and boy, do we like to feed that, we're not going to see the mercy going to just assume things should be in our favor. And in God's mercy, quite often he still shows us mercy. But we're going to miss out on experiencing the fullness of that. Sometimes it's going to lead us to, to not even turn to Jesus because we don't really feel like we need him at all. And, and even if we do turn to him, we're not going to experience the fullness of joy in him because we're not focused on how much God is doing for us. We're focused on how much we're owed. And that's what we see here. Which then well, it leads to further justifications and it leads to further sin. You see, sin distorts good things. And if we just look at that verse again, we're, we're, it all comes down to this little song that Lemek sings. Verse 23, Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. 
you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Well, what all is going on there? Let's just think about the, the different layers, because we were talking about innovation last week, and we see that innovation being played out here. For example, Lemek's son Jubal, what does he do? He invents musical instruments. Well, now we see his dad, he's playing the poet, he's playing the lyricist, he's writing a song, and what is he going to write a song about? He's going to write a song about how he killed someone. Can you imagine that? That's not the 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 sound of someone who is deeply troubled by his own reaction. He's not saying, oh, wow, I, I can't believe what kind of anger I have. He's saying, wow, this new technology of music, I want to use it so that people hear far and wide how I killed someone, and now I'm protected because of it. Likewise, as we, we think about his, his reference to how much protection he has, there, there are different ways we could take that. One could be just outright presumption on God. God is going to protect me even more than Cain. But some commentators have thought, and I think there's something to this, that as he's thinking about how important he is in relation to all this, I might even go further than that. He's not really even sure he needs God to have 77 times protection. Because what else has his family invented? Well, we found out his family also, they were the first metallurgists. Tubal Cain came up with how to use metals to build things. And what do you build with metal? Quite frequently, weapons. And so as Lemech thinks about people that might want to take vengeance on him, part of why he assumes he can, can rain down revenge upon them if they try to go after him, maybe because he's looking at his family's new fortifications, their new ability to, to outflank the enemy, because they, they're not just going to need sure manpower. No, what are they going to have? They're going to have metal weapons. And he's thinking, I don't even need God's mercy like Cain did one day long ago. I can do it on my own. Because when all those other people, they have some sticks and stuff, and we're coming at them with metal weapons, it's over. And we can not only just take vengeance on someone that tries to wrong me again, we can take out their whole family or, or their whole clan because we have the power to do that. It seems like that might be implied in here. And so we see, again, how sin is distorting. Here's some things that, that had potential to be incredibly positive, and now they're being used by this distorted view to actually bring about more sin. And that's what sin does. When we feed a little sin and we allow ourselves to start being distorted more and more by it, it's not going to just sort of stay there flat line, just feeding that one little sin. It's going at some point to expand into more sin. It simply will. And so we have to ask ourselves, what sin am I feeding what gifts that God's given me am I using then to, to put a fortress around my sin like Lemek did? Because we are going to do that. And when we do that, it just feeds more sin and then more distortion. We keep seeing more and more of those cars that really aren't anything spectacular because of that. And it leads us down this road where we're shut off from God and his mercy and, and the ability to love our neighbors. It does all that. Even consider, for example, we... we can look at Lemek's family, and it seems like out of that family, you also see the development of the first legal codes. Lemek is describing something of that here, as he, he's taken that, that what we might call common law principle that was applied to Cain, and now he's expanding it with the amount of revenge here. Maybe Lemek himself has invented the first legal code, we might say. 
But in that, it's such a distortion of the sort of law that God values. For example, if we look at Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, it says, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for a stripe. Notice, wound for a wound. Now, to our modern ears, when we read that, we often think this, this principle being described in Exodus sounds brutal. And it's a, a principle described in, in various legal codes of the ancient world, but one that God approves of for his people, not because he wants to encourage people to take revenge, like you do something to my eye, I'm going to do something to your eye. That, it's not that God is saying you can't have mercy. Rather, God wanted to make sure his people understood this. If you've been wronged, don't exact more than you had taken from you. Because that's never, ever pleasing to God. And, and yet, and yet, that's what we always want to do. And that's what Lummock clearly does, because he never makes the assertion that his life was at risk. He never suggests that he was more than wounded. Rather, he says, I was wounded, so I killed. He feels justified in that. That's the legal code he wants. And, and frankly, I think it's the legal code all of us in our sinful hearts want. We want a code that allows us, when we've been wrong, to take more than what's been taken from us. That's not the law of God. That's not the heart of God. God's heart is a heart of mercy and of justice. And, and on the one hand, we can say if, we, if we're wronged and someone gives back what's been taken from us, that's just at least. And that's the bare minimum of, of just operating as human beings that God calls us to. But then there's that elevated level of, I don't even need back what's been taken from me because I'm going to show mercy like God shows mercy because I see all those mercy cars driving down the road. Lemek is operating two layers below that because he's not only saying, I'm not going to show mercy. He's not, he's not even willing to just take what's been taken from him. He wants more. And again, I think, I think that's what we do. It's because our model of the world, our, our vision has been distorted. It, it, it's sort of like, well, I'm sitting here back in, in the steadfast snow studio, you might say. Here I am by the fireplace, and why am I there today? Because I, I really wanted it to snow today. I was looking forward to the snow today. All I had to do today was, was get ready to, to share this message with you, to record before you and do this stream with you. And I was looking forward to all day as the day went on, looking outside and seeing what my favorite meteorologist likes to call hamster-sized flakes falling. I was looking forward to that, but it didn't happen. And I'm kind of trying to cling to it anyway by pretending it happened here and being by the fireplace. Why not? It's still cold outside. But here's the thing with that. It didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Well, the model, which is flawed, didn't predict, didn't predict correctly how the weather was going to move about. And so the weather didn't move the way that everyone thought it would last week. It didn't hit us here in St. Louis. And so I'm here wishing that there was snow outside the window as I'm with you, rather than that there actually is snow. There was a distortion there. Maybe, maybe someday, as we better understand weather, someone could look back at the weather model that predicted that weather for this week and could explain exactly what we missed that we don't yet understand. And often that's the way it is with sin. We see where, where sin leads us, where it forecasts things ought to go, whether it's how we should take revenge or, or how we should be cynical or how we should do this or how we should do that, how everybody else is messing up more. 
And what we don't realize is how that model is forecasting a storm that isn't really true. And what it's doing that whole time is, is we think that the snow is going to fall around everyone else is that we don't realize how our own hearts are freezing, how our own hearts are missing the warmth of God's mercy. I think it's why, as Jesus surely was thinking back to this passage, he instructed a very specific number to Peter on how often we should forgive. Take a look at Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother sin uh, my, my will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now, seventy-seven is a nice number. It's a very biblical number. It could just be a coincidence, but those who have compared this pass these two passages together have, I believe, rightly made the connection that it isn't just a coincidence that Jesus references 77. The disciples would have known this story. They knew Genesis far better probably than we do on average. And so they would have known this story. They would have had that number in their head. And as, as Peter says to Jesus, how often should I forgive? Peter thinks... Seven times sounds pretty good. And Jesus says, well, let's think back here. Let's think back to Genesis. You know that number 77? That's not the number that you want associated with things. When people wrong you, you shouldn't get 77 times revenge. And you shouldn't even do seven times forgiveness. Show the opposite of Lamech. Show 77 times mercy. Go way beyond, and go way beyond in the exact opposite direction that Lamech was driving. He was driving south, drive north. He was driving east, drive west. It doesn't really matter. Just get away from him and drive towards God. Because if you're going even a, a more moderated version of where people like Lamech have gone, you're not driving towards God, driving away from him. Peter, forgive 77 times. Now, Jesus is not saying there that we can calculate the precise number of times we should forgive people. and We should keep a little quota. Ah, I see this person has filled up 75% of his forgiveness quota. A few more times and I can finally cut that person off. Because that's not certainly what we want God to do for us. Can you imagine if God measured us and he was counting every time we did a certain sin? And, and let's say he even offered that level of forgiveness for each individual sin, but we have this spreadsheet filling out over our lives. And if we happen to hit 77, or, or maybe if we translate slightly differently and we're a little more generous, 70 times 7, that there's this limit and we hit that point and we're just done. Well, all of us would be done. We don't want that and... Neither should we want to give that to others. Rather, we need to, to escape the distortion. When we realize that the cat's fur has been dyed orange digitally, but it's not the reality, we realize that, that what we think is us being just just, or maybe even being merciful, like Peter did. He thought, I'll forgive someone seven times. That even that is a distortion of the mercy that we're receiving and the mercy we're called to give that then we start to be enabled to see how we feed into that descent of sin. How we go from able to sin to actually sinning. How we find ourselves in that trap over and over again. And as we do so, not only are we hurting other people, but we're really hurting ourselves because we are freezing our hearts. We are missing out on the warmth that God intends us. But 
as we see that God keeps forgiving, as we see that he keeps restoring us from that distortion, he enables us to see we should forgive so much more. We should be anxious to forgive so much more. Now, that's easier said than done. But it certainly gives us a direction. Peter didn't immediately become able to forgive someone 77 times. And I can say this to you tonight, and I'm not going to be able to easily forgive somebody 77 times. I might struggle to forgive someone the first time, the second time, the 10th time. That's where God is. And so what do we do? We, we want to turn the car. We want to buy the right color car. We want to ask God, God, I'm speeding down the highway, and I realize I'm speeding the exact same direction as Lemek. But turn me around. And help me not just to crave justice, where I only take what's been taken from me. Help me to give mercy. And not just a little mercy like Peter. Help me to give more and more and more mercy like, like you have done over and over again for the entire history of the world like I need today. You know what? God will help us with that. Won't immediately be easy, but he does honor that prayer. And May, as we close this series, and next week we're going to begin a new series thinking about Genesis 5 and, and how God works in Seth's line. As we do that, let's pray that in this coming Lenten season of preparation for Easter, that we would be focused on how can I be a mercy giver? How can I show mercy to others? So as we arrive on Easter, we're reminded of the ultimate mercy and the ultimate love. We look a little bit more like Jesus. And a little of that AI distortion has been turned off. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, it is so incredibly hard to reflect it. Even as we recognize that you're showing mercy to us, we don't necessarily want to show mercy to others. I know I, I struggle with this. And Lord, would you help each of us to be a mercy giver? Someone who, who each time we think, but, but here's what I deserve. We'd see how distorted our view is. We would see how, how things have been turned from who you are and, and how desperately we need your mercy. And all we see is the thing that, that's wrong, but would you help us instead to see what you've done to make things right. And as you help us to see that, would you help us to be a people that offer extraordinary mercy, for we serve a God of extraordinary mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the joyful news. That message of mercy is for each of us. That extraordinary mercy is not for us once we get that mercy down ourselves. The more that God helps us to do that, the more we ask him to help us to do that, the more that we'll be able to see it and experience it. But starting point is to say to God, I need your mercy. And so if you've never done that tonight, may this be the day that you start to turn off that distortion and you see it by saying to Jesus, Jesus, I need you as my savior. I know that I'm a sinner in need of mercy. And if you'd like someone to pray for you and, and to help you through that process, there's nothing special to say, but we'd love to pray for you. And you can ask in the comments or you can text the texting line on screen and it would be a joy to pray with you and share that. Also, speaking of sharing, please consider sharing this video. There's someone that you know that needs to hear about God's mercy because all of us do. So when you click that share button, if you're on Facebook, if you take the link on YouTube and you post it on X or on Mastodon or on threads or through email or you, or however you can get it to someone else, you are making a difference. Every time you subscribe to one of our social media 
platforms and then share posts. You're helping to share. And we all need to share. We need to share God's mercy. We need to be reminded of God's mercy. And I'm so thankful when you help to do that. Speaking of things to share together, I hope you'll join us at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. It's both online and in person. We will have an Ash Wednesday service. If you've never been quite sure what an Ash Wednesday service is, please just come and experience it. It's not some weird ritual. It sometimes can sound kind of alien if you've never been through it. It's a wonderful time, just as we see in Scripture, to humble ourselves and say to our God, yes, I do need that mercy. I want that distortion taken away. It'll be a service of prayer. It's not going to be a normal service with all the normal service trimmings, just something very simple, something simple before our God. So I hope you'll join us at 7 p.m. and consider inviting someone else. Lots of people want ashes on Ash Wednesday. And so bring someone along who says, I need to find a place to get ashes. Bring them along because here's the thing. As we come together, we're not going to just put ashes on each other's heads. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on the gospel and on that mercy. And that's the important part of Ash Wednesday. Also, next week, I hope you'll join me as we begin that brand new series, Generations of Man. And we're going to see how God works through the line of Seth. And and we see some parallels to the line of Cain, but we also see how God preserves his people and how God is putting together the story that ultimately gives, well, all of us life, but certainly the life that we get in the Redeemer. Hope you'll join us for that. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I will see you again next week.